0: Greetings, everyone. This is the God and Government Podcast. I am your host, John Steinreich. Welcome to the Free Speech Zone. And
1: on the line, of course, is my wingman, Mark Richardson. How are you, Mark? Doing fantastic, John. And I hope everyone out there is doing well also.
0: Well, absolutely. Um, We're going to talk about one of your favorite subjects today. Um, which is the education establishment. I'm I'm sure you're thrilled about that idea. So I was reading an article on the American Greatness website by a a teacher named Larry Sand. And and, uh, in this article, he's talking about, um, you know, the massive amount of expenditure that we do on public education. Uh, Nationally, it's around $7,900 per year per student in California, whopping $20,000 per student per year. And in the the latest Biden administration proposal, you know, the the gargantuan so-called stimulus, there's something like $126 billion earmarked for public education. I'm like, good Lord, what are we actually getting? What
1: do you think are are we getting for all this spending? What we're getting basically is social justice indoctrination. We're not not getting any any realistic semblance of what people would call education now. I mean, my goodness, I I don't even think I don't even think a lot of schools even teach basic arithmetic or arithmetic in the standard that most civilized nations, i.e. the world, even uh, even uh, call edu- uh, mathematics. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: I, I've been uh, sadly uh, having to watch my kids undergo the uh, torment of common core and the way they teach math. Like I'm trying to show my kid, you know, the, my younger one, how to do fractions. I, I remember how I learned it in the 70s. And, and she says, well, that's not what they teach us. And they, then she shows me the example of this convoluted, you know, looks like E equals MC squared on acid type of uh, logic that they do to try to teach kids basic stuff. I'm like, this is what I'm paying $126 billion for? It's insane. Just insane. Yep. So um, what, we, what we have today is a very special guest who can help us kind of untangle this mess And uh, let me give you his bio, and we'll introduce him. So Dan Hagedorn is an international speaker, author of several books, and the founder of Preparing Kids for Life, which is an organization devoted to helping parents guide their kids into becoming their best version of themselves. He has a degree from the Master's University in Santa Clarita, California, and he had a 14-year career teaching high school in public, private, and homeschool settings. And uh, he's uh, a really great expert who's done a ton of research on the education establishment. And if you like barbecue, we're about to roast uh, public education on the God and government spittle. So please welcome Dan Hagedorn. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing
2: great, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being on.
0: Well, I'm glad that you could could be here with us. I know this is close to your heart. Um, When I saw you last, you handed me a a, a stack of books. replete with quotes and and facts and figures, which, you know, those are anathema to our our modern discourse. Um, You know, could you give us just sort of a brief summary about what brought you to, you know, writing all of this kind of stuff and and taking the education establishment apart? Well, I
2: was very fortunate in that I read a book by John Taylor Gatto uh, called The Underground History of American Education. And that eyes and I read that book prior to getting fully involved in the teaching profession Mm. that actually saved me because if I hadn't read that book I would have taught my students very differently and and here's the saddest part of all I would have taught them differently fully convinced fully believing that I was doing what was best for them
0: Mm. So what was, what was the thesis of his interior. book? But what, what was the thesis? I mean, what was the turning point in the book for you?
2: Well, the, the book just goes in and it describes, you know, the real history of American education and it's detailing. Uh, he uses a lot of original source citations and he's just going in and detailing. Here's what the people who started our educational system said about their purpose mm-hmm. in creating our educational system. And then my my takeoff in what became my book on American education was taking those notes and kind of dancing them a bit and then also going, all right, well, now that we have the purpose aligned, now let's take a look at what the results actually are. Mm. So I'm gonna suggest something perhaps a little radical. I'm gonna to suggest to you that I think the American public school system is the most successful institution by far in American history. The what reason you say? I say that is because when you look at the purpose of our educational system, as described by the people that started it, we are doing an absolutely magnificent job. We have fulfilled every aspiration of theirs
1: beyond measure. Mm. Mark, so I now need the to say. now the multi million dollar question is what was their what was the stated uh, purpose of the system.
2: Well, there's, there's a couple of things that in short children drive purchases. That's the short answer. The, The slightly longer answer is that when you realize that you realize that, uh, we need to then get a hold of children and form and shape their minds at the earliest possible age. So there was two things that they figured out. One, best consumers are bored people. So school of necessity needed to become a place of boredom. Now, boredom can actually have a positive. Like when you're bored, you have to go inside yourself and entertain yourself and create and think. And it's wonderful. However, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about where you are taught to endure boredom, Mm -hmm. where you're taught to withstand it. Just find a way to stand up under the mind-numbing boredom that is school. Because if we can teach you to endure that, we can teach you to then endure the mind-numbing boredom of the assembly line. Mm. And now, in our modern era, the cubicle.
0: Now, Dan, how, how far back does this go, this ideology?
2: <laughs> well, this goes back to, I mean, you can look at uh, Plato's Republic. You can look at um, Augustine's Cities of God. You can look at Hobbes' Leviathan. All of these talk about uh, a small group of elites who manage society for, of course, the betterment of society Mm -hmm. and that children are central to that because again, the, the child's mind is the most malleable. And in that, so the first part is bored people make the best consumers. Yeah. And then the second part is that childish consumers are the best, so childishness has to be extended as long and as far as possible. Mm. The word adolescent didn't even exist a hundred years ago. It was introduced by you know some of the lackeys, you know the the ideas are, are kind of circulated amongst them all. So it's difficult to determine which one of them. But this is you know like the G. Stanley Halls and the Edward Coverleys and the Edward Thorndykes. You know these are the people that are creating these ideas. And they are the ones that essentially took the ideas of these earlier philosophers, melded them with the Prussian school system, and then created the monstrosity known as our public school system.
0: So this is, you know, turn of the century, basically, is what you're describing.
2: Yeah, I would say by 1890, the Mm -hmm. public school system as it presently exists was pretty much well in place. All of the, (laughs) the resistance had been beaten back, which, by the way, it's interesting to note how profoundly profoundly resisted public education in america was at the beginning Mm. and for for actually several years and then finally by the 1890s they had kind of beaten everything down enough to finally get their way
0: well yes as i understand it historically uh, the american school system was established originally sort of as a seminary system so it was it was christian education more than anything. And, and the public schooling, if it existed, was there to promote sort of family values as well as teaching educational fundamentals. Am I correct?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the purpose of education used to be very different. It used to be, you know, create an independent thinker, create somebody who's self-sufficient, somebody who is going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a member of American society mm. and, that's not it at all now clearly
0: no, it's definitely not well, let me let me um, I don't know Mark, did you want to comment because I have some notes here um, to get
1: started? Well yeah, I mean it, you and, and of course too because remember as we made that we made, as we made that transformation from an agrarian society into an industrial society, you know a lot of the children at the time is that because cities were starting to get established, but a lot of a lot of pe- a lot of people were still living in rural areas, farms, and what have you? So it's like when you, so so your child was more, the child was taught more of the, I guess you could say more the values and the systems to keep themselves, you know, alive, you know, or as well to teach their minds to absorb the knowledge that they would need to keep themselves alive in an, on an agrarian sense, you know, farming, harvesting, what is like what what type of what type of plow I would use, almost like common sense uh, types of items right
0: exactly so let let me jump into some notes here dan i want to get your feedback on this so in in coming up with the title for this episode i'm calling it teach your children not so well and that's sort of a play on words of an old folk rock song uh, crosby sills and nash which was called teach your children well and i think conceptually if you just think of that title every parent wants you know their children to be taught well they want their children to have values morals common sense reading writing arithmetic you know basic functional skills to live as a decent person and be functional and then i go to the bible and i look in deuteronomy 6 and verses 4 through 9 i'm reading from the esv it says O israel the lord your god is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul and might all these words that i command you today shall be in your heart and here's the 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 crux of the matter it says you shall teach them diligently to your children.'" shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So we see here from an ancient biblical source that their parents should be teaching the morals, the values, the concepts of God to their children. We should be doing everything in our power to bring our kids up, not only to to know um, facts, but to understand morals and values. Right. And right. that that was our historical expectation, as you said, up till roughly the 1890s. Um, but obviously, <laughs> for those of us who are paying attention, those of us who are parents it, with kids both in public and private school. I don't think these values are being refor- reinforced at all. And, and our Western civilization values are being discarded, and we're moving very rapidly down a road of postmodernism, and it's propagandizing, propagandizing our kids into anti-Christian, anti-American dogma. So, you started a little bit with the history. Maybe you could you could expand upon that and summarize. How did we get to this point where we are now, where we're 180 degrees opposite what it was, sort of, at America's founding? Well, it, it really starts with the
2: purpose of the, the we'll call them the founders of public education mm-hmm. so it starts with the with the founders purpose which was primarily agnostic at best atheist pretty much outright john dewey was a devout atheist and the real irony is that despite their their decidedly um secular bent they use explicitly religious language to describe a lot of their goals it's mm. kind of interesting but this shift occurred because they're they're embedding it around a humanistic worldview and out of that humanistic worldview it becomes well what do i think is the highest good for the world now mm. that's not a bad thing uh in general but specifically when you have somebody that has a lot of influence and has a lot of power and they are basing that on something which is finite meaning secular humanistic wisdom set yourself up for disaster Mm. because you're you're building on the wrong foundation and so whatever is quote-unquote moral becomes whatever the the month is moral and because Mm. we've now eliminated objective morality, it becomes, well, whatever I say it is, whatever I feel it is in the moment. Right. And of course, objective morality has changed. Whereas God's morality does not. Something that was wrong a thousand years ago, guess what? Still wrong. Mm. Whereas now it's kind of like, if you, if you just look at what is openly promoted, openly talked about in the school system, it, it would be unrecognizable even 30 years ago. Yeah. And that's not, by the way, because 30 years ago we were more moral. It was still based on a secular humanistic. It's just simply that back then, whatever people thought was moral for themselves happened to be. With what we would consider moral, but that's not really a true foundation. And the more that you embed this, the more that it becomes normal. Kind of like if you ask your child, where does the alphabet come from? They will look at you dumbstruck Mm. because the alphabets always existed for them. They don't realize, no, at one point somebody sat down and constructed it. And then over years it was modified and changed and it became the alphabet that we experience today. It's common. It's everywhere where we see the alphabet everywhere. But at one point it had an origin and kids don't even understand that. They just sort of, oh, it's just always been here. And so there's no questioning of it. That's the problem. And, and again, the interesting thing is there's a very big, this is why parents have been so long. I mean, they're waking up more now, but they've been sucked in for so long is because when I was a teacher, we would have these classroom standards posted on the boards and parents would see them at back to school nights and parent teacher conferences. And it's all up in the board. It looks great. And we're all trying to raise men and women who are critical thinkers and yeah, it sounds so good, but you know, Uh Actually having a generation of critical thinkers in our classroom, the educational system would collapse on itself within a year. (laughs) They are not going to entrust critical thinking abilities to the men and women of today. They need to indoctrinate them. They need to make sure that they don't even consider thinking. They don't even (laughs) consider asking a question. They just assume, like the alphabet, it's always been here. Mm. And that's the fundamental problem. And once you get a cycle of that installed, then, then it just, it's a program that perpetuates itself. And so people start to, they can't even conceive of thinking education any differently than they do. It's just always been that way. That's how we've always done it. And they don't even think to question it. And teachers that do the teachers, like myself, we get weeded out of the system. I mean, I could I, I hung in there for 14 years because I was I was determined to try to change the system and to try to be something that could protect kids and something that could help kids best. And and I realized I just wasn't able to, to do it that way, not to mention that it put me in conflict with administrators all the time
0: mm. because
2: they wanted very different things. They wanted adherence to the standard rather than let's actually bring out the best in the child. Let's figure out how we can help this. A uh, young boy or girl become a man or woman who really truly thinks for themselves hmm. it's not something that they want wow I can tell you a quick story if you
0: want go ahead, I go sat ahead down, and then we'll have Mark comment
2: I sat down with my uh, department chair when I was teaching and this is a private school and he talked to me about the fact that he was taking my AP classes from me and was going to give them to another teacher And I was, uh, I said, you know, when I got here, the AP pass rate was 8%. It's been above 90% for the last four years. I completely turned it around. Why why am I being punished for excellence? And he kind of had some really not much to say about that. And he said, we just want to go in a different direction. And I started pressing him because I was a little bit upset. And uh, and I, I just say that because the pass rate is how we kind of keep our job. You know, they, mm-hmm. they monitor that regularly. And, and if your pass rate is good and high, then that's what you get to keep your job on the basis of. And uh, he said, well, look, you know, we want we want teachers that are just going to teach them right out of the textbook. We don't want these deviations. We don't want them thinking for themselves. We want them to learn and know exactly what we tell them. Wow. Wow. By the way, graduate of Berkeley, this guy, but (laughs) just wanted to throw that in there. Wow. So I'm sitting down and and I'm I'm dumbfounded. And he said, you know, you're you're actually really good at what you do. And so when I get the kids, your kids in AP economics, which is one of the subjects that he taught or or this this uh, nun gets them in her social justice class, he goes, it's it's almost impossible to deal with them because they ask questions. We don't want them asking questions. We just want them doing what we tell them to do.
0: Incredible.
2: And I'm like, wow, I I guess I must have missed that memo when they talked about helping young men and women become their best by fulfilling their potential and stepping into the ability to critically think for themselves. I, I must have, I guess... I misread the words that are on my wall in my classroom right now as we're having this conversation. Now I didn't say all that because at the time, like I said, I I was just shocked. I I could not believe that this would be this would be like the Pope coming out and saying, you know, all Catholics are terrible and everybody needs to leave the church. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, dude, aren't you the Pope? Isn't this your church? What do you? It was on that level. I just couldn't imagine that I'm hearing this. From a quote fellow educator, and yet I was. So it. it's it's real. The doctrination is
1: real. Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to say. Uh, well, for well, first off, John, we, we seriously got to do a part two on this because this yeah. this this is such a wreck, and yeah. this affects our nation, and part and part and part of this lunacy. That we're there, we're seeing coming down the pike with all the all the critical race theory. I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at a piece of the article here where it says like you know, Joe Biden wants to use America's tax dollars to promote the 1619 project. So let me see if I got this straight. So the administration, which technically to me doesn't have any business being in the education uh, business in the first place, wants to promote something that is that has been outed as an outright complete fraud, and it's still going. Yeah, we need to teach our kids a lie. What? <laughs> what?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You may you were a history teacher, Dan. So maybe maybe you could comment quickly on, on you know the 1619 project, critical race theory, and all that stuff before we move on to the next topic.
2: Well, I, I just will say really quickly that I think most Americans look at our history and you know they're not of the my country always right camp and they're not of the my country always wrong camp. And say, look, America is great. It's exceptional. It also has its flaws. And we yeah. should look at those flaws and address those flaws in an honest way when we're educating our kids. However, we should also honestly say that our country is exceptional and we should not shy away from that. We should not apologize for that. You think Bill Gates apologizes for being a multi-billionaire or Warren Buffett's running around offering apologies for being a multi-billionaire? No, it's no. what they've done. It's you know, but we shouldn't either as a country apologize for what we've done. We've, we've been a a beacon of hope. There's a reason why people are trying to get in here and not leave here. Mm. There's a reason for that. As as messed up as our country is right now, there's, there's still a reason for that. And so I think that, uh, we just need to read history the same way, but we, again, (laughs) it comes down to critical thinking. We don't do that. When you read history, you need to understand that there are biases and you need to look at where those biases are coming from. Probably the easiest way to explain this is looking at the Civil War. Why did the Civil War happen? Well, there's multiple causes for the Civil War. Let's look at them. There's also a matter of perspective. If you read a Northern historian and a Southern historian, you're gonna get two very different skews of the same event. Mm -hmm. So it's important to understand that as well as who's funding all of this. I mean, if I'm reading about how great smoking is by a research study funded by Marlboro, I need to have the mental <laughs> capacity to question that a little bit. Yeah. Rather than swallow that as, as the absolute gospel truth. And so I think that with history, it's it's a little more difficult because it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a Facebook meme. It doesn't lend itself to a Twitter post. Mm. It's nuanced. It needs context. It, there needs to be a larger conversation around it. And I think too often with history, we just run through a bit of events and facts and then move on, which, by the way, is why most kids find history so boring is because that's the way we're presenting to them. Yeah, right. Rather than the rich story, the tapestry of how all these different threads wove together to form the fabric of our country.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you, you hit the nail right on the head once, and, and and all and the running theme. That you've used, Dan, is something that's very important for our listeners to get. is the fact that all these are applicable in the realm of critical thought, you know, critical thinking. You like to be able to instill that urge into children to like to look beyond what the, what these words and texts say and to develop their own is like develop their own, I won't say worldview, but perspective on these events. And it seems like the education system is going out of its way to quash that like, to quash that that aspect of a child and to basically, uh, we're, we're basically living out Wally, Is that, like, you know, we're, we're basically turning everybody into fat, dumb, happy consumers.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yep. uh, I don't know, Dan, if you've, you've heard about this, but here in, in our district where my kids go to school, there was a move that recently uh, caused the school district to remove, to kill a mockingbird and Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn or whatever Mark Twain books out of the uh, required reading for high school students because of the, the use of the N-word, which, which is flabbergasting to me because these are, first of all, Twain was writing at the end of the 19th century and that was common, sadly common parlance, but he was writing historically accurate language. And then, of course, To Kill a Mockingbird is an anti-segregation book. And yet the the woke scolds have decided that because it has language that they don't like, this has the students cannot read these works. Isn't that absurd?
2: Let, let me get this straight. So if if they've taken out those two books and banned them, what are the transsexuals going to read children at tranny? children uh reading hour
0: yeah yeah drag queen story. What, what
2: will they what will drag queen reading hour look like now if they don't have those two classics to read to them uh
1: i don't i don't know uh i mean I, I, uh, they'll, 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 they'll probably throw on rupaul's drag race videos and they'll watch that ah <laughs> uh,
2: okay good uh, yeah yeah
1: i i suppose i suppose
0: so i i i really don't know i mean um transcripts of uh anderson cooper and don lemon on cnn maybe i, I don't know what else they would yeah, read. Maybe. maybe so <laughs> yeah very interesting let me, let me move on here i want to read you another scripture and and uh, that'll provide some more food for thought so i'm in matthew 18 verses five and six looking at jesus talking here and christ says whoever comes whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me but if anyone causes one of these little ones uh, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, the reason I read it, this verse, is because it's clear that Jesus had a pretty significant uh, concern at heart for children. And he is laying out a foundation to say, look, when you're raising up children, you need to raise them up in a way that drives them away from sin, and into the light and it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck if you actually teach things to these kids that are are going to drive them into a, a sinful lifestyle so no christian parent would send their kid to a public or private school with the intent to have their values undermined or to contradict the scripture and yet i firmly believe that the contradictory education to this type of teaching Is happening every day, every moment from sea to shining sea in this culture. So, Dan, I wanted to ask you as the education expert, can you describe for the listeners what type of instruction is actually occurring uh, in our schools today? Math, science, history, language arts. What is actually going on? What are our kids? We're sending them to the public schools or the private schools and trusting these people with our kids for six hours a day. What are they actually teaching them?
2: Well if you if you read
0: 1984, mm-hmm. um, enough said. <laughs> <laughs> so it's moved from the fiction department to the nonfiction department. Yeah
2: actually it's it, well Orwell has become has become nonfiction now uh, so. I mean I, I'm being slightly facetious but really not by much. that's that's pretty much what it is. There's literally a new language that is being fed. I mean for example, one of the reasons why we have such low I mean one of the many reasons that we have such low literacy rates is because of whole language that was introduced uh, a decade and a half ago. So and it the completely, it actually creates, for some kids, it creates, you know, as dyslexia.
0: Mm. So can you describe I mean, what whole language teaching is? What's that? Can you describe uh, whole language? Because I've heard the term. So I, whole,
2: I, whole language is, is basically, it's very similar to common core math. There's a lot of similarities. In other words, if if you are your own God, essentially, in secular humanism, then whatever you believe is true is true. Well, you, you're you now doing that with language. So words, punctuation, grammar, all those things. It's like, what do you believe is true? What feels right to you?
0: <laughs> so, hey, hey. Mark, it's I the think same thing never, with math. I mean, racist. we don't
2: even acknowledge two plus two equals five. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. It's literally racist or wow, numberist or whatever is they've attached to it. It's now – somehow been convoluted into yeah there is no real what what feels right to you with math well you know try that with your mortgage john what what feels right to you to pay the bank for your mortgage every month
0: well it would feel great to pay nothing
2: doesn't it exactly so there we go problem solved i mean that's that's the i mean we're literally reaching a place where it's not just that we have divergent perspectives on Mm -hmm. things. We're reaching a place where we occupy separate corners of the intellectual universe.
0: Um, And there's
2: entire galaxies that span the gap between us because it's just not even on the same plane. But, but again, when you're, when you're trying to destroy knowledge, when you're trying to destroy how you think, and how you think for yourself, the best way to compartmentalize things. Have you ever wondered why there's all these different subjects that you're taught in school and none of them to the other?
0: Mm. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah. Have
2: you ever wondered why they have bells that no matter what you're learning, no matter what you might be dialoguing or thinking about in that moment, the bell tells you to immediately stop and move on to your next workstation, which subconsciously Tells the child, nothing you're doing in class really matters. Mm. So why bother putting much effort into it anyway? Unless, of course, you're trying to get, you know, the little, um, the the little treat of of a grade that that we're attaching to it, because we've told you and convinced you that college is the only path to success.
0: Right. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because Mark and I have talked a lot about that. <laughs> So one, one of Mark's major bailiwicks is, is uh, beating up on the, the university system. So, I, Mark, I don't know if you want to comment about that or ask any questions about what's going on in the universities. Grr,
1: universities. It, 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 I, oh, I could go on and on <laughs> about that. I mean, it, it's a, to, to me, I mean, OK, we know that at one point in time, as we were growing up, universities used to be at least a center where the concept of debate was alive you i mean you 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 could go in and you and you could actually have dialogue with different individuals that came from different backgrounds different towns different cities different countries and you could and you could debate uh, topics that might be coming up in class or social issues that might be coming up you know via like television or radio and now the, now these universities are basically nothing more than to me, ex- expensive, expensive knowledge, lack of knowledge prisons. The, the, to me, a university now is no different than than a maximum security prison, except you pay them, and you yeah. you learn nothing. Your 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 values are quashed if you have any values or 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 a system that goes against what the school is attempting to promote. And 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 as we've seen in the news now. Um, basically, any any attempt to say, "Hey, maybe, hey, can I be able to have the freedom to speak as my God-given right?" Mm. It, it's like now, now, now you're basically tear bombed, um, shouted down, uh, threatened, bullied, and where exactly is the education? Where, where, exactly am I getting any education for what I'm paying?
0: What do you think, well, Dan? When you look what, at when you, what look you say at about the universities. Though,
2: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, what are your, your thoughts on, on what's going on, <laughs> you know, post-secondary uh, education? Well, gosh, like,
2: like Mark said, you know, where do we even start? Um, you have You have schools now that are remediating most of their classes. Most of the high school kids, even given the low bar that we have, Most of the high school kids going into college aren't even ready for college, which is why remedial classes have shot through the roof. Ninety six percent of universities offer them. Ninety six. And you have you have about 70 percent of the kids that don't even finish college that are enrolled as freshmen right now. When you get to the end of it, it takes an average of six years and you go into an average of thirty three thousand dollars of debt. So all that we're really giving kids is a mortgage sized debt without the house for the most part. Wow but the interim part you you start looking at what's actually taught you know if you really want to give yourself a kind of a, a laugh uh, you should start going into universities and finding out some of the classes that are taught in those universities and it's fascinating there's there's classes and these are these are at, um, these are these are at major universities, you know mm-hmm. Ivy League universities and one of them one of them is taught. I believe it's at Cornell. I, I have to um, it's in my it's in my book but I, I've got
0: a I believe it's Cornell. it's one of the Ivy Leagues. and it's getting dressed in the morning. There's a class about getting dressed in the morning at, at an Ivy League University.
2: There's actually one yes. I mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I thought that, I thought that happened in kindergarten. I got,
2: you know what you, you would think now yeah. um, here. Oh, here it is. So let me, I'll just read this to you. So um, the, uh, the website is www.socawlege and they have the, one of the, the articles they have there is the 15 most ridiculous college courses you won't believe are being taught. So you can go to say the university of South Carolina, Mm-hmm. tuition there by the way in 2014 dollars is uh 40,178 dollars and you can take a class called lady gaga and the sociology of fame sociology cool. professor matthew DeFlem was inspired to develop the course after seeing the singer and artist on television explaining to the new york times quote the central objective is to unravel some of the sociological relevant dimensions of the fame of lady gaga end quote now uh, oh I have to go, I have to go back and say my bad. Okay. So the Ivy league school, Cornell university, again, $44,000 a year in 2014 dollars, you can take tree climbing. Tree climbing. This course will quote teach you how to get up into the canopy of any tree to move around, even to climb from one tree to another without touching the ground. End quote. Now the one I described to you, and this is, this was at Princeton university where it's just $40,000 a year in, in, 2014 dollars you can take getting dressed this <laughs> course 20... is taught by scholar and author jenna wiseman Slit, and explores the art of getting ready in the morning by examining how what we wear and why we wear it shapes who we are and vice versa
0: you're sure you're not reading an article from teen vogue yeah
2: exactly or or this is i promise you this i did not get this research from babylon B. these are actual things going on our universities and of course if we have you know he slash she she whatever designation you you know currently majoring in 13th century transgender botany and they suddenly get triggered by something and they have to go find their therapy ferret you know for emotional comfort and then go to their (laughs) safe space it's just like Oh, my gosh.
0: Wow. You know, <laughs> like, the level of fragility, you talk about white fragility. How about college fragility? No, oh my kidding. gosh. No, no kidding. You know what? That <laughs> These So I could get a major in in getting dressed with a minor in tree climbing. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, Mark and I had a, a guest on uh, a while ago. We talked largely about cancel culture that and, and I think the universities are the the cauldron of of this kind of stuff so that they don't teach the students math they don't teach them history they don't teach them hard science they don't teach them economics they teach them how to be angry and frustrated at every turn don't they
2: pretty much and you know what the bottom line is when you graduate with your double major in selective outrage and marxist pottery (laughs) what exactly you're going to do for a living with that
0: (sighs) Uh, and that's
2: I, maybe why you're living in mom's basement at age 40 playing Call of Duty. I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, right at the at the top of my anger list, right behind the teachers union is is a is, a, is guidance counselors in 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 school. I'm sitting you here don't. going, Wait, how much are you getting paid to basically teach these uh, teach or guide these children towards idiotic, useless Non-productive degrees, so they end up up to their armpits in debt and can't get a job because, well, you know, I don't know that that underwater, that underwater basking weaving degree sounded great when I took it, but now I can't find, now I can't, um, now I'm ending up. Well, would you like fries with that, sir? Exactly.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just losing my cookies over here. <laughs> Because it's so, it's so bloody outrageous. And we're spending gazillions and gazillions of dollars. I mean, you think about it. The Department of Education, I think, was impaneled in 1979. How did America exist for 200-plus years with no federal Department of Education? We actually, Which, by the know, way, is
2: unconstitutional.
0: Yeah, well, I, I agree. It's unconstitutional. It, but you, it, th- there's you nothing in
2: the, the Constitution that remotely, remotely can be construed. I don't care how many emanations and penumbras you want to pull out of your of your neck. There's nothing that covers that.
0: Well, yeah, I, I agree. And and what we're really big on here at this podcast is Romans 13, 1 through 7 and Second Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. And those are sort of the guiding principles of God and government. Basically, the government has some very limited functions, which is punishing bad guys and commending the good. Um, it doesn't spe- specify what commending the good is. But I imagine that the 40 to $80 billion per year that we have on, you know, the Department of um, Education, you know, I think that stretches the line of what is doing good. (laughs) Uh, So when you think about it, Dan, what, 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 I mean, we've talked a lot about this, maybe this is a redundant question, but what are we getting for this massive investment in public education? What is the prognosis uh, for where things are going, given what's happened over the last several decades?
2: Well, well, using this is I'm not a big I'll just say at the outset, I'm not a big fan of standardized testing because I've actually seen its profound limitations in the classroom. Yeah. But that is the metric that the system uses on itself. That is their metric. Right. Right. Based on based on their metric, you have a situation where we are. um when you look at our SATs, when
0: mm-hmm. you look at
2: the um, ACTs, when you look at, and, the, and again, those are also attached very closely to a number of international tests, like the PRLS, the PSA, and so forth. When you look at that, we are are failing on an absolutely epic scale. Mm. So, so for example, we have something called um, the NAEP, which is the national center for education statistics and and they published this report it's kind of collect uh, collectively known as the nation's report card okay right? and um and that's been kind mm-hmm. of accepted well the problem with that is that for example you would think with what is our national debt now 22 trillion no no
0: it's 27 28 29 it's close to 30 trillion
2: I mean, again, and not even talking about the $118 trillion from the unfunded liabilities right. of Social Security, Medicare, AB. I'm, I just mean the, you know,
0: the, the operative
2: okay. Yeah, the quote operative one. Well, here's the thing you would think that, for example, that would be economics would be something that would be a kind of a priority to teach kids. But the last time they did an NAP assessment was in 06, and only 36% of the kids could identify the federal government's primary source of income. Mm. Yeah, I'll take IRS and taxes for $500, maybe. <laughs> um, only 33% could explain how an increase in real interest rates impacts consumer borrowing. um mm. Wow. Only 11% could analyze how changes in unemployment rates affect income, spending, and production. <clears throat> Taken as a whole, 42% of 12th graders are at or above proficient in economics. By the way, I need to interject here that the proficiency bar is embarrassingly low. It means you're just barely better than functionally illiterate. Mm. Okay, so we're not talking about a really high level here. But when you start looking at this and you you look at the NAP scores in mathematics, um, I mean, of fourth graders at or above or proficient, 33% of eighth graders, 25% of 12th graders at or above proficient. And by the way, one thing I have to take exception with in the article, although I loved it, is mm-hmm. that he grossly underestimates how much we spend on our kids. We're looking at roughly 11,000. And this is back, you know, my book does everything in $2014. Because that's when my book was published. Yeah. So we're talking about Uh, about $11,000 from the federal side. And we're talking about an average of some states spend more, some less, but an average of 11,000. So every kid across the country, including DC is getting about $22,000 per year per kid. Mm. Now, if you ask the average parent, okay, what kind of education do you think your child could get for $192,000? Do you think you could find a way to educate them on stuff?
0: Sure, of course. You know, Malcolm
2: Malcolm Gladwell talks about an outlier as a ten thousand hour rule. You become a world class expert in something after you've studied or practiced it for about ten thousand hours. What are our kids coming out with after eighteen thousand two hundred hours in the school system?
0: Well, I mean just-
2: they're they're barely functional and yeah, now
0: writing and arithmetic failing at, at a, a rate of what eighty percent at basic skills.
2: Yeah. And that's their own metrics. I mean, th- this is their own metric. This isn't, you know, somebody kind of criticizing them from, from the side. This is this is their own metrics document this. And when you compare us to where we are in the world, I mean, I just want to, just to give you an emphasis, I'm going to read this to you because th- this, this needs to be kind of understood. So the CIA World Factbook, right? Literacy as the percent of a, a country's population ages 15 and older that can read and write. And again, Mm -hmm. just functional, read and write. We're not talking about the next Shakespeare. We're just saying functional, okay? Now, these are all of the countries that are more literate than our highest performing state. Andorra, Finland, Georgia, Greenland, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, Norway, Vatican City, Cuba, Estonia, Poland, Barbados, Latvia, Samoa, Slovenia, Belarus, Lithuania, Slovakia, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Armenia, Hungary, Russia, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Moldova, Australia, Belgium, Canada, Czech Republic, Denmark, France, Germany, Great Britain, Northern Ireland, Iceland, Ireland, Japan, North Korea, Monaco, Netherlands, New Zealand, St. Pierre, Mikulan, Sweden, Switzerland, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan, Guyana, Turkmenistan, Albania, Kyrgyzstan, Trinidad and Tobago, Italy, Bulgaria, Croatia, Austria, Bermuda, Cayman Islands, French Polynesia, Turks and Caicos Islands, Rio South Korea, Spain, Burt, British Virgin Islands, Mongolia, St. Kitts and Nevis, Cyprus, Aruba, Romania, Argentina, Israel, American Samoa, Montserrat, Northern Mariana Islands, St. Helena, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Netherlands, Antilles, Serbia, New Mon- Calcedonia, Macedonia, Taiwan, China. St. Vincent and Grenadine, San Marino, Chile, Bahamas, Anguilla, Cook Islands, Nui, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, Dominica, and Paraguay, and then Minnesota.
0: <laughs> okay. Just to give
2: you, I mean, I know that was long, but I just it's kind of important to emphasize that's how many countries are more literate, have a higher literacy rate than our, our best state. By the way, you want to take a stab at who has the lowest?
0: Uh California. It does. Wow. New York
2: is seventy-eight percent literate, and California is seventy-seven percent literate.
0: Wow, that that's... so we
2: kind of go. Maybe we should really rethink any advice coming out of New York and California based on the metrics they use, right?
0: Yeah, this is this is unbelievable. We've spent so much money, and we're getting so little rate of return. I want I want to I want to ask Mark something. I want to read read something here. I did a quick study, Mark. I know you you grew up in the Detroit area. And I'm looking at an article here from 2018 talking about graduation rates in, in uh, Michigan and the Detroit area. Um, now I, I don't know how skewed this reporting was. It said that uh, at least in 2018, three quarters of the students in Detroit were graduating, but only 12.3 of them percent, 12.3 percent were actually prepared for college. Think about that. Of all the students in Detroit, 12 percent are actually coming out of high school with any preparation for anything more. That is outrageous, a horrible mm-hmm. indictment of how we're treating our minority students in inner cities. Now, you grew up, in, you know, an older time. What was education like back then sort of in, in in the Detroit or, you know, the black community?
1: And what do you see it as now? Yeah, I mean, as I guess I, as I, I was coming up school age in like the um, late 60s, early 70s. And at what at one point in time, the schools the schools had I mean one the schools had discipline, you know it's like it's uh, disruptive children were not allowed to take over a class. Um, like the, the schools the schools had music, the schools had science. I mean, actually going into a going into a class, you know, with Bunsen burners and and develop, mixing chemicals and and learning the process that actually makes the you know chemicals interact with one another. Um. There, there was, there was physical education, which kind of taught you discipline. It taught you, it taught you motivation. Um, you know, you we we actually learned correct sentence structure. Mm. Uh, we, we 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 actually learned we actually learned
0: about history. So, Mark, these are predominantly black schools, right? Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, the, the Detroit Detroit's a predominantly black city. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, heaven forbid, it's like you actually walked out of there. With you with with an education, I mean, I I find it shocking to myself, you know, that I I I didn't I didn't finish college, but I find it amazed that while I'm interacting in life, people often come up to me and talk about how well read I am. It's like how like how well I speak. And and actually, it's like and and my ability to uh, my ability to process information and present it to people. Mm. And I sit back and go, well, you know, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I didn't go to a private school. I went to a public school, but now uh now if if you can get someone to actually give you a definition of what a sentence is and break down what a sentence is, you are way above the way above the high water mark. Wow.
0: So Dan, let me ask you this. why why is it that, that we spend goo gobs of dollars? particularly in minority schools, inner city schools, and what happened to Mark in the seventies where they actually taught him has turned into a cesspool of dropouts and people unprepared to go into the real world. Why are they doing that to minorities? I thought that black lives matter.
2: You know, frankly, I'm going to say this. Uh, I I believe that the public school system is the new plantation Mm. and uh, it's done. It's done to uh, limit the potential of children
0: wow and
2: it's done it's the same way that where are most of planned parenthood abortion clinics located 70% of them are low income yeah. minority neighborhoods yeah uh, in the school system you have a very similar uh, track you you have you have leaders in those areas that use the kids and pimp them out whenever they need money for something but they don't actually do anything to make the educational experience of these children better Mm. by the way, you know, the brain, there is no, there is no ethnicity to brain matter. Right. Right. It's gray. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter. You, you give kids a learning environment. Doesn't matter what skin color they are. They will learn period. There's a school that uh, Thomas Sowell refers to that's it's in the middle of New York City that, that you know, proves that. It's actually recent. Um, the name escapes me, but they did. And, and you know what? They're doing just as good, if not better, than, you know, some of the predominantly white schools in the area. It has nothing to do with that. So here's the thing. So why is it? Why is it? Why are these schools, like you said, such cesspits? This mm-hmm. is by design. When you look at the racist undertones of the public schools, look at their attitudes. They were all eugenicists. Mm. When you look at that, they are elitist to the core. The whole process of the educational system for them is calling out the top 1, 2, 3 percent of people that are going to be making decisions for the remaining 97 percent. And so you have a, a, a design where they are, are seeming like they're on their side, quote unquote, when in reality, they're not. It's kind of the same. I use this analogy a lot. It's kind of like if the crack dealer is giving you a free hit or on your side,
0: <laughs> Yeah. does not... that
2: mean they're trying to get you addicted to their products so you will sell your grandmother's lung for another hit?
0: Hmm. Which which of
2: those options is is the true one? And it's the same thing on a mass scale. And I talked to like bored people make the best consumers and childish people are the easiest consumers to manipulate. Mm -hmm. That's what the school system is doing. So whether it's getting them to consume propaganda or whether it's getting them to consume kind of this consumerist viewpoint. And again, because we're not equipping them with the tools to think for themselves. This is pretty much what if Mm. you are a major business, you want to keep things as the status quo. Why? Because you don't want consumers thinking about whether or not they can afford something, whether or not they need it, whether or not the product is is of a sufficient quality to warrant the price that they're charged. They don't want you thinking about that. They just want you camped out five days before Apple makes an announcement about a new iPhone for the privilege of paying the money for it. It's the same thing with politicians. They don't want people looking at the actual voting record of the politician. They don't want them looking at who's money. Mm -hmm. They don't want to look at which organizations approve or disapprove of that politician's policies. They want you to look at a five-second video on YouTube and go, oh, that guy's really cool. I'm going to vote for him. That's what they want. Yeah. And so you put all of this together and it's this dumbing down indoctrination campaign that is designed, mm. I believe, and again when you look at it, every now and then, every now and then the mask, the 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 bed sheet slips, as it were, mm. and you see these people for what they are. You see Joe Biden for what he is, and you know the whether it's him like, well, well, Barack Obama's this articulate, right? Really mm. surprising. Or, you know, it's this, there's this constant condescension. You know, I remember yeah. having a conversation with a friend of mine who was was pretty successful in, in insurance. And I remember him t- and he would get heated every time he would talk to me about this. And I was like, whoa. But he said, you know, if I have to walk into one more room, one more room and spend one more minute establishing that i belong in that room and that i'm not the product of some affirmative program he goes i'm gonna lose my freaking mind Mm. and i'll never forget that because he like i said would get i mean it would just burn him alive because it infuriated him that all of this condescending racism that had been foisted on him was actually limiting him he goes I, you know what I dream – I would love to have a day where I just walk into a room, and everybody is who they are, and they just assume that they're in that room because they belong there. Yeah. Not because they uttered the right politically correct phrases, or they kissed the right butt, or they're mm. related to the right person, or they, they hold on to all of the the, the, polit- the orthodoxy that they're supposed to. But it's just literally everybody who belongs in the, is in the room is there because they belong there
1: on merit. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. So, like I said, Dan, we we got to like I'm 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 gonna talk to John. We got to we got to have you back for another episode because we could. This, this is this is we're only scratching the surface of this. No, and I'm... the point that you made, the point you made is very important, and especially to me, because I sit back here and you know as a as a uh, as a white supremacist myself. <laughs> 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 a black white supremacist, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 I have to constantly stroll. <laughs> I have to constantly stroll around, and basically, people look at me and they say, "Hmm, let's see. Well, he talks well. He wears his pants where they should be on the belt. Hmm. Um, well, I, well, I, well. Obviously, obviously, this man is a sellout. This man is oh, not right. Tom. <laughs> it's like, and and you and you're trying to sit back and balance that out, going, Why can't you accept the fact that I, I I'm here because my parents were educators and they taught me values. They taught me to understand and respect God. They taught me to understand and respect my elders. They taught me to listen and ask questions. Why Why is that such a reach for people nowadays? Yeah, good yeah. question. So hey Dan,
0: I wanna close this out here. This has been a fascinating discussion. We will have to reconvene this. Um, but as as we close out, I wanted to just ask if you could give maybe a piece of advice from, from a parent perspective and an educational, professional perspective for stakeholders, really parents, what are your recommendations on how to deal with what's going on in education today?
2: Well, I think, I think there's, there's two things. Uh, one is if at all possible, get out of the system. Mm. Uh, now I realize that is not a luxury that everybody has. You know, everybody's coming at this from a different slice of life, and that may not be an option for you. But if there's any way that you can swing it, uh, get out of the system and find some alternative that you like. I think parents need to trust themselves a lot more. Mm. Parents love their kids more than anybody else on the planet. They're more committed to their child's success than anybody else on the planet. Trust that Love you have for your child to make decisions that are best for them, mm. and if at all possible, get them out of the public school system. If that's not an option, if that is not an option, then my advice would be, you have to really go that extra mile for engagement and intentionality in focusing on what it is that they are being Tim there, because you are then going to have to, uh, you're going to have to actively deprogram them.
0: Mm. Hard work. And you have to be
2: intentional about it.
0: Yeah. You're describing, I, 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 those, those are hard truths that you're talking about, but I'm glad you said them. So let, us close this out. Can you give us a, uh, you know, if any listeners want to find you, where, where should they find you online?
2: Well, you can go to wwwpk 4 l That's the number four. Yep. Uh, l.com and uh, check out us there. We also are, are on um, Facebook at PK4L Tribe. And, uh, you know, anything that we can do to help parents, whether it be educational, spiritual, emotional, mental, anything, we, we kind of work, our processes like 360 parenting, you know, and we, we look at parenting from all angles, just like we, we raise our kids from all, all angles, you know, and every dimension of their humanness.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's a P as in Paul, K as in kids, for the number, L like Larry.com, PK4L.com. That's where you can find Dan Hagedorn and his work. Thank you so much, brother Mark.
1: You have any uh, comments before we go? No, I mean I think Dan, I think Dan hit the nail right on the head. It's like parents, just like everything else in life, you cannot sit back and idly expect individuals who you don't know and you've never vetted to to teach your children, mm. because it's not going to it's not going to end well for you. You need to yep. be active. You need to be on the ground. I know it's hard, especially with our society now with work, but it's your it's these children are reflective of your life you're trying to set them up for the best opportunity so you've got to be in there all in well
0: thank you guys so much and for our listeners if you want to find us we're on facebook at facebook.com backslash god and government also on the parlor website at god and government and of course anchor.fm backslash god and government all right fellas good day all right thank you thanks john